Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music. For all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com/newsadfree. That's amazon.com/newsadfree to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, Laura Murphy-Oates here. Murph is currently away covering the G20 and COP26 this week, but she has sent through a fresh episode for you and it's all about France. I have a lot of respect for your country. I have a lot of respect and a lot of friendship for your people. I just say when, you, when we have respect, you have to be two and you have to behave in line and consistently with this value. On Monday morning, French President Emmanuel Macron accused Scott Morrison of lying to him over the cancelling of a $90 billion submarine deal with France. You think he lied to you? I don't think. I know. Thank you. This is just the newest low in our relationship with France since the AUKUS partnership between Australia, the US and the UK was announced to supply Australia with at least eight nuclear submarines. In this episode, recorded shortly before these latest comments from Macron, Murph discusses the situation between Australia and France with Philip Curry, the political editor of the Australian Financial Review, and the chief political correspondent for the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age, David Crow. Here's Murph. Hello, lovely people of podcasts. Uh, I am recording this week in a hotel room in Rome. So let's um, let's think about the G20 because that's where we've been sort of uh, cloistered really for the last 48 hours, shuttling backwards and forwards through uh, the Italian capital. <laughs> it's sort of, it's hard to know where to start. I was, uh, let's, let's just start with the obvious question, Phil. What did Scott Morrison think he was doing at the G20? Oh, saving us from Facebook and Twitter, I think. Look, I've done a million G20s, Murph, and um, it's usually the agenda of the G20 is never really that newsworthy. It's a bit like APEC, you know, um, or ASEAN. It's always the things that happen on the sides that end up being the most newsworthy, and G20s in recent years have been either occupied by terrorism and in more recent years fears about the growth of China. So all the stuff that goes on on the sidelines, the bilateral talks and the little groups of meetings between leaders, you know, like a, you know, maybe us and the Japanese and the Americans and get aside and gang up on China – they seem to be the things. This year we, we arrived in Rome without any really of that going on other than sort of the world sort of coping with COVID and what the next steps were out of it. So that sort of leaves it pretty wide open um, <laughs> for the Prime Minister for things to go wrong. We need something to write about, obviously, and that that was uh, delivered on a plate on Saturday when um, uh, Joe Biden and Emmanuel Macron had their, had their side meeting and... Um, dumped on both the Australian government and I suspect some uh, officials in the White House. Let's hit pause for a tick and just roll back mm. and uh, just tell people what this blue was about, what's what's happened, what's led up to date and why was 
when we arrived in Rome, literally turn on the TV, there's Joe Biden. He <laughs> um, uh, being lavish praise on Emmanuel Macron. Uh, anyway, David will take up the story. Well, there was always some, um, you know, a huge amount of focus for all of us on how the meeting with uh, Scott Morrison and Emmanuel Macron would work out at this G20 because of the way uh, Morrison dumped the French uh, submarine contract little more than a month ago, and how furious the French have been about that, including Emmanuel Macron taking it very personally. He thought he had uh, an agreement with Scott Morrison at a personal level because it was only in July they were hugging each other at the Elysee Palace in Paris. Um, a couple of months later, the deal is scrapped. Morrison has now cemented the relationship with Great Britain and the United States with Boris Johnson and Joe Biden. And Macron's on the outer and he's furious with all of them. Um, now, we know um, uh, they had a phone conversation on Thursday afternoon just before Morrison flew here, um, but that didn't smooth things over. I mean, that, that was in lieu of what they would normally do, which is have a formal bilateral meeting at the G20. There's no formal meeting. And I think what was really interesting is that Scott Morrison knew it was going to be a very dicey moment, captured live on camera, with photographers all around him if he didn't handle it right. And so what he did was, I thought, play it very safe. He approached Macron in an area that's not open to live cameras, that doesn't have commercial photographers. He walked up to Macron, put out his hand, shook his hand and uttered a greeting. And we don't know anything much more than that because the only photograph of that moment was taken by Scott Morrison's personal photographer. Mm -hmm. So he controlled the moment 100%. Well, I was going to say it was sort of like a controlled detonation, right? Yeah. It's kind of like he absolutely, you know, if that had gone pear-shaped, sort of it's like the tree falls in the forest, right? Did it actually happen? So let's go back to Biden because yeah. I'm not sure that we've mm. properly explained uh, what happened with Biden, Phil. So everyone knows the history of this. You know, in the last few months, we announced the AUKUS agreement uh, between Australia, US <laughs> and UK. And as Dave said, the French are chagrined. Um, and Morrison's Cabago handshake didn't, I don't think, didn't. <laughs> it was a shocker. Even though that photo was, even though that picture was provided by his office, it looked as bad as that when he monstered that fire, firefighter in Cabago and, and that young girl. Anyway, I had to get that in. I did steal that line. Oh, did I've you? Got... You bastard. That was... <laughs> I used it. Oh, no, it's too good not to use. Uh, as, as I'm a big joke thief, so uh, so I'll give it to you. Um, where was I? Okay, so so the point being, once it all blew up and the French went nuts, now the French are bunging it on a bit, okay, because Macron did know this was a possibility. We're going to tear this up. There was a level of duplicity involved with the French but at lower levels, but Morrison had sort of been talking to Macron about the possibility of this for some time. But still he doesn't like it. His Gallic pride has been wounded. It's, he's got an election next year. So an element of his, his outrage, not all of it, an element is, is confected, but... That's the firm belief. But what's made it really interesting is Biden seems to be aggrieved by the way it was handled. Now, you know, he, he the strength of his language the other day with Macron when he said, you know, honest to God, I didn't know, you know, you hadn't been told this was going to happen. And it was very strong language from a US president and he effectively denounced both us but also people in his own administration because our government swears blind. They kept the Americans very much in the loop with this. Like Anthony Blinken was all across it, people like Kurt Campbell in the White House, uh, stuff like that. And the feeling within the Australian government is someone there didn't do their job and keep the president in the loop. You know, 
basically tell him, look, it's going to be messy when it happens and the French are going to be upset and we've got to be prepared for that. Uh, Biden gives the impression he just thought it was all squared away and the French were happy, which sounds to me a little bit naive. So ultimately, I think you know, it reflects poorly on us, on the Australian government, but there's also a big rift in the White House about the way this was handled too. Every time someone goes and meets an American president, they always tell you you're the closest ally we've ever had, you know, it's us or the British. or the... But he was saying that to Macron on Saturday too, and I think Australia in this situation is seen as a little bit expendable given uh, you know, the pressures in the Northern Hemisphere, uh, French fears of Russia. Macron wants to be the big guy in Europe now. Um, he's worried about the NATO thing falling apart. So he's pretty much playing us off a bit as well. And Biden, I thought, ate out of his hand on it, played right into it. And uh, it'd be interesting. I think things are a little bit testy at the moment um, over all this. It's really been quite messy, uh, the mm. AUKUS thing. Mm. And fascinating, which is sort of why we've all been crawling all over it, really, from uh, the moment we took off in Darwin and discovered mid-flight that <laughs> a call with Macron had occurred uh, that, strangely, we hadn't been told about before we boarded the aircraft no. anyway. Well, that's, that's sorry, but that's how you mishandle these things. I mean, PM came down the plane, we're all sitting there, and he sort of came down the back, you know, and sort of waved at us and said hi and said, we'll talk later. I'm tired and went up the front. We didn't know we'd just come off the phone to Macron. And then, you know, nowadays the plane has wireless and a few hours later we all found out because the French put out a statement. So we all bang out stories on the back of the plane and they get shitty at us. <laughs> Standard operating procedure. But yeah, but really, anyway, quite fascinating. So where Phil left us, David, was, this is all a bit messy. The Americans have, well, well Joe Biden is like a, you know, post-World War II Atlantic sort of view of the world, unlike Trump, right? He's a bloke of alliances and out of that Cold War mentality. As Phil said, right, obviously Angela Merkel, who's been the key figure in Europe for, God, how long? Yeah. Like seriously, forever feels like all of our reporting lifetimes. I know it's not that long, but anyway, she's moving out. Macron's positioning himself as the key figure in Europe. Biden needs sort of Europe on side and to settle all of those post-Trump antagonisms. Um, an interesting point that Phil said at the end, we might be expendable or semi-expendable in that. What do you reckon? I think it comes back to the way AUKUS was... I think, oversold when it was announced in around September 15. I mean, we really rubbed it into the French because we dumped their contract and then did this coordinated announcement of AUKUS with Boris Johnson and Joe Biden all in real time online, um, you know, in three capital cities. Now we're seeing um, the British and, and the Americans realise that they went too far because they've got this important French ally now on the outer, not just blaming Australia, but blaming the UK and the US. And so Biden's doing everything he can to salvage that. To me, it raises the question, what happens to AUKUS and what happens to our access to nuclear submarines under a different president? Because this is something that has to go to 2040 and beyond. We know from Senate estimates, we may get one boat in the water in 2039. Um, so we have to think very long term. How many presidents away is that moment? So you want to cement this, but it looks like there's this real sense of regret in, in Washington, D.C. about how they've handled it. And there's a long way to go. There are a lot of doubts about whether it's actually going to deliver a nuclear sub for Australia. Um, but um, I've got to say, being here, it's like I was just saying to fill over a coffee writing about a bullet that's just been fired and updating the story as the bullet moves <laughs> through the air because we had Biden and Macron, 
some of it's slow motion because we had to wait almost a full day before we could really put that to Scott Morrison about his response to Biden. Biden had called it clumsy. He'd basically, as Phil's colleague Andrew Tillett put it, thrown Morrison under the sub, right? And uh, But Morrison was very careful. I, I, In fact, I remember asking him yesterday, so are you saying that the officials in the White House didn't tell the president? And he just dead battered that because he can't say that publicly. He just can't go there. It'll only make it worse. And so he's in a bit of a bind in terms of how he responds. But you can see every time at every stage as this bullet flies through the air, he's hoping it goes away and it never does. It always can't, There's always another stage to this story. Yes. And of course, we're about to fly to Scotland when all of these characters will be together for another sort of compressed 48 hours. What could possibly go wrong anyway? Let's not foreshadow. Let's um, sort of wrap up thinking through some obvious things, right? Uh, As David says, uh, this is sort of like a, you know, a bullet that we're tracking in real time. Everybody's kind of had their say, I guess, really, over the last 48 hours about this, and we've sort of hit ambiguities that are difficult to unpack or move past. But anyway, what do we think? I mean, it's pretty clear what Macron wants out of Biden. What do you think Macron wants out of Australia? Because obviously he's expressed these views because he's aggrieved, fairly or unfairly, right? And so perhaps the answer is he wants nothing except to be aggrieved. But often if leaders persist in the way that Macron is persisting, is there something that Australia can offer to move past this, do you think, Phil? Uh, Look, I don't think so, other than time. Just let it heal with time. I mean, you remember, I remember when they were blowing up the Pacific with atom bombs and, uh, you know, sinking Greenpeace ships in Auckland Harbour. Um, (laughs) And uh, things are far more poisonous then than they are now, and we sort of got over that. What the French want from us is they just want a presence in the Indo-Pacific on an equal footing with the other partners in the region. But that's probably more about their prestige as much as anything. But where we're useful for them, I think, is they can kick us because they can't can't afford to have a poor relationship with the United States. The United States is too powerful. So we're the proxy they can kick. They can vent their anger on us over AUKUS and buddy up to Biden again and sort of, you know, play us off against them. So we're we're not powerful enough to be of any concern to them. And, uh, you know, and and it's easy for him to beat us around. He probably won't lose votes for that at the next election and so it allows him to express his displeasure with what happened with AUKUS whilst at the same time get back in the tent with the US and probably by virtue get his sort of Indo-Pacific plans back on track. But as for our relationship with the French, well, you know, time time will tell, Kath. (laughs) As they say in the classics, only time will tell. David, what about uh, Phil ended there with Indo-Pacific, right? And obviously France is a major Indo-Pacific power courtesy of, you know, hundreds of years of colonisation. Is there anything... Are there shared? Well, Morrison's kind of going there, right? He's saying we've got shared interests actually in the Indo-Pacific. Is there anything there that, um, you know, I, I don't know, this is sounding more transactional than I mean, but it's sort of like is there anything, is there any productive rapprochement that can happen there? I struggle to see exactly what that would be. I think there are shared interests and, in fact, the really interesting thing is that Macron was was on Australia's side in the whole issue of tensions with China in the Indo-Pacific. You know, he got that. He was very supportive of Morrison and that highlights the cost to Morrison in mishandling this um, and if he doesn't repair it. I think um, there's not much, as Phil says, that Australia can actually 
offer France. I really think it's about France getting back into the transatlantic relationship and global relationship with Britain and the US. That's what it seems to want. I wonder what that means for um, maybe there are things like greater access to Five Eyes intelligence or something like that that Macron is after. That's purely speculation. We can't know. But I think it's going to be very difficult for Morrison because it's going to be a a matter of apologising over and over again because Macron wants an apology. He wants what he got from Biden because I think it is personal, but it's, it's political also in terms of the French election coming up. Well, that's particularly lavish, what he got from Biden. Yeah, but don't discount too that I don't think Morrison's losing a lot of votes by being beaten up on by the French. I mean, my experience in this job over a long time is when someone's jumping ugly on you from abroad, people tend to coalesce around their own government rather than, you know, I mean, unless you've done something egregiously stupid. Well, you know, So whilst Morrison wouldn't be welcoming this, I don't think it's costing him a lot of support. And Crowe just said about the apology. There's no way he's going to apologize. Morrison's going to apologize. I mean, he just says, I, "This was a national security decision. Mm-hmm. I put our country first. Mm-hmm. I make no apologies for putting Australia's national security first. It's a, it's a hard point to argue against. The um, the parallel might be uh, the Malaysian PM Mahathir Mohamed mm-hmm. and Paul Keating when Keating called him recalcitrant. I mean, that went on for a long time, and there was no way to really bridge that gulf. And the only thing that really stopped it was the passage of time. Mm. Grandfather well, time. <laughs> <laughs> well, grandfather time's a nice place to lead. Thank you both. Um, I appreciate it. These are really intense and busy experiences. And as we're recording, we've got another 48 hours of hell ahead of us. So I've just seen your suitcase, Murph. You could sequester a lot of carbon in that. That's the biggest suitcase <laughs> I've ever seen for four days. <laughs> take it to Glasgow and do some street theatre around it. <laughs> this is my show, Enough of the Sledging. Thanks very much, guys. That was Catherine Murphy, Guardian Australia's political editor in Rome, covering the G20 and COP26. This episode was produced by Karishma Luthria and the executive producer of the Australian Politics Podcast is Miles Martignoni. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.